0: and get in our Bibles, I won't waste a whole lot of time tonight. I want to try to cover uh, just about three verses, four verses here. I'm not going to take us too far tonight. Uh, if I'm going too slow for you, I apologize right now. I'm not trying to be overly tedious. I know we only covered one verse last week and that's like, man, we are going to be in revelation till he does come. <laughs> I just hope that ain't 200 years from now, right? Uh, to which all of us gag and barf and at the very thought of it being that long. Amen. Uh, He'll still be right if He does that, and we all missed it, and I don't know how we missed it, but I'll guarantee you we missed it. I don't think it's going to be that long. I just want to go on record as saying I don't believe it's going to be two or 300 years at all. But I'm just telling you this. God can do whatever He wants. That's the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes we've got to stretch our little feeble minds outside of our comfort zone just a little bit, as long as it's biblical. You understand what I'm saying? I believe with all my heart the Lord can come back whenever He feels like coming back. And we all missed it. And we'll say, how in the world do we miss it? There's no way. And God's going to be like, well, look at this and look at that passage. And I'll go over here, go over there, and this is why. And we're going to be like, oh, we thought we knew the Bible. But (laughs) when we got to see the one who wrote it, the one who is it, we'll we'll look at that tonight. Uh, We're going to realize how little we actually know. In the meanwhile, He can teach us. And we're going to see some passages on that tonight. Uh, and I want him to teach us. Amen. I mean, I really want to know my Bible. And I believe with all my heart the Lord could come back tonight. I don't think, I don't think we're waiting for anything. I really do not believe that we're waiting for anything. I, don't be looking for a red heifer. When you see that stuff on YouTube and on the Internet and all that stuff, and come running to me with that, listen, come to me with it. I'm absolutely fine with that. Don't be like, oh, I don't want to ask Pastor about this because he's going to think... Don't worry about it. Come to me with it. But I'm telling you right now, all that stuff is a bunch of tomfoolery because it sells. Do you understand that? It sells. And that's why these guys are always coming up with something else, you know, blood moons and all the rest of that stuff. We are not waiting for anything to happen but the trumpet to sound. That's all that has to happen. You do understand that, right? Yes. Now, now here's, here's the argument on it. Here's a great thought for you. If he could have come back in Acts chapter 7, Jesus Christ was standing up when Stephen was being stoned, and he looked up and the heavens were open, and he saw the Lord standing. Now the goofy Bible scholars will tell you that he's standing because he was going to greet his servant Stephen, which is the biggest crock of baloney I ever heard in my life. I mean, if God stands up to greet every good servant that's coming into heaven, he'd, have been a, he'd be a jack-in-the-box. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, Jesus Christ, like, now stop and think about it just for a minute. You're so spiritual that Jesus Christ, when you walk in the throne room, is going to stand up to greet you with honor. (laughs) It's just bizarre to think about that. That a guy would even say that or believe that just blows my mind. He was standing up because if Israel had repented at the preaching of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the whole thing would have kicked off right then and there. Now, you go figure that out. Now, I got more answers on it than that, but I don't have time to dive into all of it right now. But you think about that for a minute, just just the concept. I know the counters to it all. The concept is that the Lord had so much of the Old Testament prophecies all fulfilled already that somehow it all matched up and played out by Acts chapter 7. And he could have come back right then and there if Israel had repented at the preaching of Stephen and the whole thing would have kicked off at that point. You'd have had a tribulation. You'd have had a, a second, com- second advent. You'd have had the whole nine yards, the millennial kingdom. That would already be over and we'd be in eternity future. Now, I'm just asking you to think about the power of God and about the fact that we are told to watch and pray We're told to look for that coming, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And early on in the book of Acts, those people believed and understood so much in the second coming of Jesus Christ that they went hog wild trying to get the gospel out. They abandoned everything to fellowship with him, walk with him, preach the gospel, and they turned the world upside down because they were so sold out to the second coming of Jesus Christ, they're looking for him to come get them. They were expecting to go. Now, if we could get back to that point, your life would change. I guarantee you, your life would change. Now, there's a million different very interesting thoughts. There's a whole bunch of really cool thoughts, to be honest with you, about all that stuff. I mean, I heard years ago, and somebody reminded me of this recently, I heard years ago a, a good Bible teacher, a guy I, I respect like crazy, brilliant, but he came up with a thought that as the first time I'd ever heard it and had it heard since, and you know, it's that, you know, there there's, could be like this warning that the Lord is coming and we got a 40-day notice and I, I won't go into all of it. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe that that stuff is okay to start actually teaching publicly. It's interesting, isn't it? There's some really interesting concepts of what could be or could not be. But you got to be super careful when you start trying to dive into all that stuff. Because if stuff you're reading into or you're saying, well, look at this possibility, that possibility, what if that doesn't line up? Now, think about that for a minute. I don't want some of these little kids sitting here to lose their faith in the Bible. Now, let me tell you what lines up, and I know for sure. He could come any second now. Now, if you'll live like he's coming any second, but you'll plan like you're going to die of old age, you'll be all right. (laughs) That makes sense? That's where my head's at on it. That's why I mentioned to you not long ago that the Lord really because of the calendars and how our calendars are off from the Roman from the Jewish calendar and all the rest of that stuff. If you go back and look at it, ask Mr. Jewish stuff over there. He knows better. We're off, right? Now you add 2,000 years to us being off. You think about how far off we actually might be. What time frame has God on? In the Old Testament when God has given time frames for Israel, He gives a, in one passage, He gives one number. In the next passage, He gives a different number. It's off by 70 years. And the Bible critics will say, oh, look, see, that's a mistaken copyist error because, look, there's actually, well, when you, take, when you go back there and you find out why God doesn't count 70 years, it was because it was 70 years of the backslidden state of Israel where God stopped the time clock in God's time. He stopped the time clock for 70 years and then picked the time clock back up again in a different passage of Scripture but cut out 70 years because he wasn't counting when, when the Jews were backslidden. Ain't that interesting? What does that do to the time frames? If we're going by a 6,000 year time frame, we could be off at least 70 years. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? That's kind of cool stuff, ain't it? I mean, that's exciting to me. I don't really want to date it. <laughs> I mean, I like to look at all this stuff. I've heard all the arguments and I, and I like it all, but I don't get into teaching a lot of that crazy stuff. With the help of God, as we go through here, I want to keep this as simple as I can to give you the right structure and the right bearings doctrinally so that you understand the doctrine of what's being taught and you get a good grasp on your Bible. I want your faith in the Bible strengthened. And all the hypotheticals are cool to study, and I have no problem with studying them. I have no problem discussing them one-on-one. If you want to talk later, that's good. But I promise you, I want to stick to the Bible and give you the basic nuts and bolts of this stuff because that's what really helps us. Now, I'm not bashing on guys that taught stuff. I hope you understand that or or mention it. They weren't saying like this is a doctrinal thing we all got to stand for. It was really taught as, hey, here's an idea. And I think that was the way it was coming across. But I'm real careful about jumping on the bandwagon of that stuff. You got to watch out for it. People love prophetic stuff. They love revelation. And part of it's a good thing. I don't want to discourage that. You are promised one book in the Bible, you're promised a special blessing for reading. That's part of why you like it. That's part of why you get excited. Oh, he's going to go through Revelation. That's a good, wholesome thing. But be careful about not letting the devil slide in there on the good, wholesome stuff. He's real sneaky, right? More subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And something about your flesh likes the horror movies. Let's watch a scary... I don't either. Let's watch a scary movie. Oh! Oh! Oh, right? Something about it. People like that stuff. It's a weird thing. So we're looking at this thing because we want to get to know our Savior better. And, uh, and we want to be looking for His coming. We talked about that last uh, week in, in verse number 7. And I told you that that was the second advent, right? Now in verse number 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty... Now, you know who's speaking here. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you see what he says about himself. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, that's very important because I'll show you why. Go back to the book of Isaiah, please, in your Bibles. Book of Isaiah. Now, uh, this week I'm going to try to dig through verse number 11. And then the next time we're in Revelation, which I think will be a couple weeks. Um, Next time we're in Revelation, I'll try to finish up chapter 1, all right? And we'll start to get the pace moving just a little bit quicker. Uh, Isaiah chapter number 40. What did I tell you? 44. Isaiah 44. Look at verse 6. Now you see that this is Jehovah God of the Old Testament, right? This, isn't the, this, isn't, this is, this is the Jehovah. It's the same, but I want to show you. I'm making a point here. Verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and he, the Redeemer, uh, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me There is no God. You see that? You know why that's important? Because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus Christ says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You know who Jesus Christ is? He's God. He uses the exact same phrase as God, the Lord Jehovah in the Old Testament, God the Father, says about himself. Jesus Christ says the exact same thing about himself because those two are one. Jesus Christ is God. Now, here's the thing I want to show you. These three are one, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe that. I I shouldn't have to prove that point to you at this point. You should understand that. They're three in one. Here's what I do want you to get a hold of. He is also one with His Word. I've always said this, and it sounds super extreme to people, but you cannot tell me you love Jesus Christ and hate the Bible. I don't, I don't get people that think that way. Jesus Christ is the Word, the capital W, right? That's the proper name for Jesus Christ. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, right? And the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In, in, the, book of, uh, in the book of Isaiah, he says, I'm the first and the last. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Most all of you can quote it, but look at it anyways, if you would. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there's nothing in this world that you can put your hands on, and I mean absolutely nothing in this world that you can put your hands on, that is more important than your Bible. Right. Now, to some people, I just said something absolutely insane. Well, what about your kids? Well, what about your wife? What about your. There's nothing in this world you can put your hands on more important than your Bible. How are you going to be a good husband or a good wife? without a Bible. How are you going to know how to raise your kids God's way without a Bible? I need the Bible. You understand that? That's the most important thing in the world. What difference does it make if I'm a great husband and a great father and I treat my wife just absolute perfect? <laughs> we can all laugh, right? None of us are that perfect. But let's just say I'm the best husband in the world and the best father in the world and my family dies and goes to hell for eternity. Right. What kind of a father was I? I gave him a good life. <laughs> What's that but a drop in the bucket compared to eternity? There's nothing more important in this world that I can lay my hands on than a Bible. Nothing. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God. I'm the first. Go to Revelation chapter 22, please. He said, I'm the first and I'm the last. In the beginning, God. That's God the Father, right? Go over to the end. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ, ain't it? Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Look at that. In the beginning, God, I'm the first and I'm also the last. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, Lord Jehovah, Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ, the anointed, that's the Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He's God. And you know how you know that? That book in your lap. That's the only way you know that. Because he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first letter of the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet. Go back with me if you would, please. I want to take you over to the book of John Go to John chapter 14. I want to show you some things about your Bible tonight. I love talking about the Bible. For most of you, this is going to just be rehash. And that's okay because it was rehashed for me too and running the references and all that stuff. I could quote most all these verses off the top of my head and it was such a blessing to me going over it again. So hopefully it'll be a blessing to you too, even if you already know it. John, And if not, maybe uh, something's wrong in your spirit. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth. You see that? And the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What's Jesus Christ? He's the truth, right? The way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus. The Alpha and Omega. The first and the last. He he connects himself to letters. That's a strange thing to me. And he connects himself to truth. Now, Now here's the point. Go to John chapter 15 verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. When the Comforter is come, which is the Spirit of what? Well, Jesus said he's the truth. Well, which one's the truth? They're one. Jesus is the truth, and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. You know why a saved Christian wanting something from God loves Bible preaching? Wants the truth? You ought to want the truth more than breath in your lungs. I mean it. You ought to be people. I mean, you don't have to be a preacher to love. If you are a preacher, you ought to be out at the front of the pack on that thing. You ought to be so hungry for the truth, you can't get enough. You ought not be a lazy, sluggish preacher. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not, whether you've got a headache or not, whether you want to or not. If you're a preacher, it's your job to study. So you just do it <laughs> and you love it. And if you're in a mood where you don't love it, you repent of it before you open up your Bible. You tell God, I don't feel like it. Forgive me for being backslidden and give me something anyhow. If you would, by your grace and mercy, I love you. Thanks. <laughs> Amen. But every Christian, whether you're a preacher or not, you ought to love truth. I am telling you, loving truth will change your life. And this is what it means to love truth. It's one thing to say, I'm a this Bible believer, and I know rightly dividing, and I can you know, split every doctrinal hair across every T and dot every I, and I can catch everything wrong everybody else says. And that doesn't necessarily mean you love truth. You want to know the real litmus test of whether or not you love truth? You've been here every length of, any length of time. You already know where I'm going with this. The real litmus test of whether or not you love truth is when you find out You're wrong. do you still love the truth enough to say I'm wrong and that's what's right and since I'm wrong I'm sorry and I'll get it right right now God please forgive me and help me straighten this thing up because I love the truth so much that when I'm wrong I'm willing to be wrong in the face of the truth because the truth is more important than I am you know what Michael did wrong this morning Michael's only problem there was not that she looked out the window and despised her husband that was the, the heart the root of the thing right And it was backed up by other problems in her life. The root of the thing was her heart was off. Some things had been going on. But the real problem was that when he said, hey, you're wrong, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, backed up the fact that he said, you're wrong, she didn't drop to the knee and ask God to forgive her and ask David to forgive her. You think either God or David wouldn't have forgiven her? Instead, she decided she was going to be a stubborn knucklehead like her dad. And she went down with the ship. How how miserable is that? To live the rest of your life never having a child because you can't humble yourself and say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, please forgive me. It would have been over. That's the the character David had. He was a man after God's own heart. And that's the character that God has. When the truth cuts you, then accept it if you love truth. That's the real litmus test. And I'm telling you right now, when the truth cuts you and you don't accept it, God will shut off the light bulbs. There is more to learn in your Bible than just having an intellect and the right teachers and the proper effort and the right prayer life. There's a whole lot more to learn in your Bible than all that. It's an attitude towards truth. And when you get God gives you some truth, whether it be about yourself or about anything else, when God gives you that truth and you reject the truth, when light is rejected, it becomes lightning. You can't push truth away and keep going forward with God. That's just the way it is. Now, I'm super careful about ever changing my doctrinal positions. You do understand that, right? We're not talking about being open to being wrong. Well, there's some things I'm not wrong about. I'm sound in my doctrine. You understand that. The deity of Jesus Christ, the King James Bible being the inerrant, infallible, preserved, inspired words of Almighty God. I believe that stuff. I believe there's a rapture coming, a pre tribulation rapture, a millennial kingdom, the second advent of Jesus Christ. I believe in the eternal security of the believer, and I can keep going on and on and on. I'm not talking about being open to the changing winds of doctrine, because when you love truth, what happens is you get established in the truth and you hold fast the faithful word as you have been taught. You see what I'm saying? I'm talking about graduate level truth. I'm not talking about rightly dividing and knowing all of the book of Revelation, and knowing where Hebrews fits in the grand scheme of things and understanding why we're t- I'm talking about, I'm talking about master's and doctorate level truth. That kind of truth has to do with you being able to accept the truth about you. That's tough, ain't it? You know what the spirit of truth does? He comes and he doesn't just teach you the Bible, but then he continually throughout your life, once you already know all the doctrines, he continually makes that application to your life. And you're over there in a Psalms, 2 Samuel chapter number six, preaching through a passage, most all of you could just about, I mean, you could have at least paraphrased the story. Right? I mean, if I said, hey, you remember that story and I started triggering your mind, a lot of you would know, yeah, I remember that, or that's coming reference. And some of you could have, at least, if you can't quote the passage, you could paraphrase the story and you're like I already know all this stuff well then you don't love truth you ought to be able to sit in church for the next 70 years if you're young enough and have read your Bible through multiple times a year and been through all the Bible school in the world and you ought to be able to come sit in church with somebody 20, 30, 40 years your junior gets up and opens a King James Bible prayed up and preaches a message and you get truth out of it because that's how the Spirit of God works and that's how your Savior works, because He's the truth and His Spirit's the truth. But that's not all. Keep going forward in your Bible, please, to the John chapter number 16. Look at John sixteen thirteen. You see, people don't grow out of a Bible-believing church. You can't give me that garbage. You can't come to me with the story, well, I've been so well-fed all these years that, you know, I'm the, you know, be careful about feeding your people too good because they can just turn on you if you feed them too good. I don't know about all that. Uh, Granted, there might be one or two knuckleheads that bite the hand that feeds them. That's just life. That's just human nature, but not the majority. John chapter 16, right? I think that's what I said next. 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Now, that's important. We'll see that as we get down further in the passage here in a minute. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. So the spirit of truth, is there's a capital S there, and he's the guide into all truth. So you come and you sit in church and you say, okay, God, speak to me. Well, Pastor Reagan taught me so much. Well, Pastor Reagan might have done his homework, hopefully, right, by the grace of God, and laid the things out and might have the gift and calling to do that. But let me tell you who's actually teaching you. It's not the man. If you learn anything, it's because the Holy Spirit of God clicks it in your mind and clicks it in your heart, and you're going, Oh, oh, well, that was I never saw that before. You know what? I never realized I do need to change that. I need to work on that. Yeah, that is an error. You know, do you know that, honestly, gentlemen, in your leading your home? When you're man enough to go, hey, you know what, the Lord showed me something today, guys, I'm sorry. That doesn't undermine your leadership. I don't I really don't think that undermines my leadership. If I'm wrong and I tell my wife and kids, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong about that. I think your kids, mama, I think your kids will appreciate and respect watching you grow spiritually. And kids, I guarantee you, your parents respect it when you do. When you come home and say, mom, dad, I got to say I'm sorry for my rotten attitude. Lord convicted me in church today. It's going to encourage their heart to hear God speaking to you. That's God. It's not preacher. It's God. gone. Well, you know, we got to have a preacher. Well, that's right. God put preachers in the church, and Ephesians 4 is a gift to the church to edify and help you and teach you, but it's the Spirit of God in Him that's teaching you. Uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch, How can I understand is thou what, I, what thou readest? How can I accept some man guide me? You just better make sure you got the right guide. You better make sure that the man you're listening to and following and studying after is a man that's truly got you in the Bible and that's truly called to God to do the job and gifted of God to do the job. I believe there's a lot of preachers in pulpits that are there for a profession. A lot. Most of, thank you. I don't need to say it, he got it. He's right. Most of them. Be real careful, Mom and Dad, about calling your kids to preach. Don't even put that stuff, if you think you see it in them when they're little, don't you dare put it in their head. Just pray over it. Keep it between you and God and pray over it. You know, there's a whole wave of that kind of thing going on throughout. A lot of fundamental, King James Bible, believing, independent, rightly dividing, blah, 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 you name it. Where it was the thing to do for a young man to be called to preach. So everybody's getting this call to preach. Like, what does that mean? Do you, can you even define that for me? Do you know what that means? <laughs> an emotional experience in a high-pressure situation in a church service where the agenda of the preaching was to get young men at camp called to preach? A guilt trip because souls are dying and going to hell all over the planet, and so we need to put the pressure on them to get them to respond? Now, did you ever stop and think about that? Look, I'm not against the call call to preach. I can discuss that later if you want to talk about it. I can talk about it later, but I'm just telling you this much. If you say you were called to preach, that's wonderful and everything, but that just means you finally realized what God put in you the moment you were saved. Stretching your minds a little bit outside of the norm. Because the moment you get saved, God gives you a certain amount of gifts and a portion of those gifts, and I realize you can pray for some and desire some and maybe even develop into some, but I'm telling you right now, it's a gift of God to the church to edify the church. It's the Spirit of God that's doing the teaching. That's why one passage tells you you need a man to guide you. And God put pastors and teachers in the church to teach you. And another passage on the other side of the thing says you need not let any man teach you save the Spirit of God. God wants a balance on that thing. He doesn't want the man's ego to run away with the, with the pulpit. And he doesn't want your mindset to get off track when God uses He wants you to love your church, love your preacher, all that stuff. But he doesn't want you to get so far off track that his glory is being robbed by some man or your inordinate affection toward a man or toward a figure right. or toward a position that God put in your life. Not to disrespect it, but to understand the proper balance in it. Does that make sense? Sure. It's the spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit of God. All right, look at John 17, 17. Here's what I find super interesting. It's obvious, right, that Jesus Christ is the truth. It's obvious that his spirit is the spirit of truth. It's obvious he's the Alpha and Omega, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, the last letter in the Greek alphabet, right? The first and the last is God the Father. The Alpha and Omega is the Lord Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, which was, is, and is to come. Very interesting, right? Now look at John 17, 17. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word, small w, is truth. Now you see why I say you can't separate your Savior from your Bible? I'm not saying that we bow down and pray to the ink and paper. I'm saying that this thing was forever settled in heaven. This book in front of you is an eternal book. This book will be there at the judgment. This is one of the books that will be there at the judgment. You've got to understand that. This thing is important to God this is how you got to know who Jesus Christ is, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You understand that these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. These things have I written unto you. He gave you a book. So that you could get to know Jesus Christ, if you're going to grow in Jesus Christ, you better love your Bible. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. And now it'll take you to Psalm, don't turn there, but go to Psalm 119 in your Bible. You've got Psalm 119, you've got a whole bunch. The longest chapter in your entire Bible is all about your Bible. And it's broken down into eight verse segments. And every one of those is headed by a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. He's the beginning and the end, and He's everything in between. And then He gives you the final culmination of His perfect Word in the English language. You've got a King James Bible in front of you. We've done lots of studies on that. You can go back and listen to them if you, if you care to. You shouldn't understand and know that what you got in front of you is the perfect Word of God. He originally gave the Old Testament in Hebrew. No problem. That's the truth. Then he gives the New Testament originally in Greek. No problem, that's the truth. Then he translates them from those two different languages, picks them up and drops them off in the English, which is the universal language of the end times. And you have the perfect words of God right now in a King James Bible, all of it being English. That's that's what Jesus Christ, he promised he'd preserve them from this generation forever. You know what he gave you? His words. Why is it hard for people to believe that there's a perfect Bible? The same idiots that think that God's not powerful enough to preserve his perfect word. Now, if you don't understand that, I'm not calling you an idiot if you don't yet understand that. I will tell you the Greek and Hebrew scholars that have brainwashed people into believing that garbage are idiots. I don't care what their IQ is. They got enough faith. It's the same thing as like the evolutionist perspective, the same philosophy They got this ultimate faith in something ridiculously miraculous that I agree with. I believe God actually had men write down the original manuscripts and that they're perfect, thoroughly furnished, that they were the perfect word of God. When they wrote it down, I have no problem with the guys that say that. Okay, great. Then God gives them, puts it in the Greek. Okay, I have no problem with saying that that was God, the holy man of God speaking as they're moved by the Holy Ghost. I got no problem with that. You know what else I don't have a problem with? I have no problem thinking that God can keep it under this generation forever, that in your lap you still have the perfect, inerrant, infallible, inspired words of Almighty God, and I don't think you have them in the originals. Nobody has an original. No, they don't exist. Nowhere on the planet do the originals exist. If you watch God's habit, God always destroys the originals. Moses gets the original Ten Commandments, God breaks them and gives them another one. All the way through that pattern, you're going to see God working twos like that, a verily, verily of God. You don't have the originals, and neither do the guys that claim originals. It's a big smoke screen. If you waste your time worrying about all that, it's because you don't trust the power of God. You err not knowing two things. The scriptures, that's one problem you got, because what's in your lap has to be perfect. Or there wouldn't be things in it that are in it. Scientific proofs that God is real because God wrote them down before science knew them. They were translated into a King James Bible from other languages, and they're going to tell you they don't always line up. You're right, they don't, but still in the English Bible, there's things they translated that is perfectly congruent with science that we have now figured out that they made fun of before they even... You understand what I'm trying to say? Listen, the people that translated the King James Bible weren't even premillennial, pre-trib. They weren't Bible-believing independent Baptists. They laid out the order of the books in a premillennial, pre trib fashion that matches perfectly with everything the Bible teaches. They didn't even know what they were doing, it was God's hand. Yeah. There's no problem believing that. I just think God's really that powerful. I think since He was, He is. And He is to come. I can trust that God originally gave everybody his words. Holy men of God spake as they were moved. God was. In the beginning, God. I can trust that he is. So when he said he'll preserve him from this generation forever, he said, add now not unto his words, lest he would prove thee and thou be found a liar. Take not away from his words. We'll get to this eventually. Lest he take your name out of the book of life. No, you don't lose your salvation if you correct it, but you lose your mind. Anyways, we'll get to that when we come to it in Revelation. He said, don't take away from it. Don't add to it. He said, they're preserved. They're perfect. They're in it. And he promised you he'd preserve them from this generation forever. You have them today. You have them in a King James 1611 Bible. That's what you got is the perfect words of God. And he is to come. God will always take care of his truth. Because his son is the truth. His spirit's the truth. God the father's the truth. And he gave you a perfect book. Back to Revelation chapter one, please. Back to Revelation chapter number one. It's extremely important to understand why, just, just a different perspective on why we're emphatically Bible believers. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which was and is and is to come the Almighty. You see that? That's God the Father. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. They're one. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Now that's important to note. Uh, he's your brother, he's a Jew. Right? And a companion in tribulation. I think that's interesting. In the kingdom kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Ain't it interesting? They go together again. What two things was John exiled for? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You cannot tell me you love Jesus Christ and have his testimony and hate your Bible. You cannot convince me some preacher, well, he just loves God, brother. Okay, well, what's his attitude toward the Word of God? If his attitude toward the Bible is one of higher criticism, they, they take young preacher boys because I know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been in almost, I shouldn't say every, but I've been in the mainstream, all the different mainstream colleges, that have different perspectives on the Bible issue. I've been all the way over in the left field at Bob Jones University with outright, blatant, anti-King James Bible, Bible-correcting approach. Just originals only, right? I've sat in those, I've been in the Bible classes. I've been in the middle ground where it's a TR only, you know, like, we, yeah, we believe the King James Bible. And they're saying that because they want to make sure that you all get duped into sending your kids to their school. Oh, we only use the King James Bible here. But they believe nothing of the kind. And you find that out real quick with your minor spidey senses. You don't even have to be a genius. You can figure that out real fast. What they actually believe is the originals. You know, they're TR, though, the right, the right manuscripts, not, not the wrong ones. So, okay, we're coming a little more towards center, right? A little, little closer to the truth, but you're still missing it. And then I've been all the way over on the other end of the spectrum, and that's where I've stayed by the goodness and grace of God in an absolute, all-out, 100% complete faith in the King James Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, no question in my mind. I'm telling you, I know the process when you go to Bible college. The process is get the preacher boys in there and then appeal to their ego and pull the Bible right out of their lap and then slide in a foreign language. Now you raise your kids their whole life, you instill Bible doctrine into them, you preach to them, you train them in the Sunday schools, you raise them up all the way and then you send them to a Bible college like that where they walk in and sit down and it's like you get into Greek class and gentlemen, welcome to Greek. You are no longer a part of the hoi polloi, the unwashed masses. I thought, excuse me? Because we're washed with water by the word, right? So you're trying to tell me that all my life I haven't been washed by the word of God because you don't believe I actually had the word of God until I sat in your stupid class. And now we're going to reboot my system. You're going to pull the plug on everything I've ever learned that I know the Holy Spirit of God has taught me. I do know some things. And I know what I know and I know that I know them and you're not going to convince me that I don't know what I know I know. Because the Spirit of God taught me what I know, and I know when He taught me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then you say, nope, we've got to start over it now. We're going to start with our ABCs. Literally, you start learning your ABCs. And this guy goes through four years of college, and then he's your pastor. They literally robbed him of his Bible altogether. And they buried his face in a Greek manuscript and he spends most of his time back there dissecting a passage and criticizing the text so he can show you something you can't find on your own so you'll sit there and be wowed at this guy like, oh, that was so good. And his head just gets bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. And then we wonder why these guys can't be feeding churches. Churches are dying like crazy and you go in and it's just a bunch of old people. No offense to the older folks. God bless you older folks that want to sit under this kind of thing. You got the right stuff. But the young people are sitting there like, this has nothing to do with my life. They're bored out of their minds. So what do we got to do? Well, since the preacher doesn't believe the Bible, he ain't soaking in the book and he ain't giving you anything that stirs your soul or helps you in your real life, day-to-day life. But he's just pumping up his own ego all the time. He's got to get up there and just figure out ways to keep you in. So we'll bring in the music and we'll bring in the programs and we turn the preacher into a professional. Kiss up, who's walking around trying to make sure he's keeping everybody happy all the time. I can't operate like that. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I promise you, I'm not going to stay so, so tuned into people's little sensitive emotions that I'm losing sleep because I didn't shake somebody's hand or say hi to somebody. I, I do my best. I really do. I try to be, remember that stuff. I'm happy to see all of you, and I love everybody. I mean it. But good night, man. Don't turn me into that. I'm a preacher. I'm here to try to feed you. I want to pastor you. I want to help you. That's all important. But I'm not compromising truth to do it. What you got in your lap is the perfect, inerrant, infallible, inspired words of Almighty God. And you and I need to study them together so we can get better for Jesus Christ and figure our lives out. Because our lives aren't that easy to figure out. But He can help us. That's what we need Him for. He's in there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. My preacher loves Jesus, not if he don't love his Bible. And real preachers that love their Bible and love their Savior will be hated by this world. Shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Isn't that interesting? That's a typology of the Old Testament. God knew what he was doing when he wrote that book. It's so so multi-layered you'll never figure it all out. They're an abomination to the... The world hates preachers, Bible-believing preachers. So they'll take a guy like John and they'll throw him off on the Isle of Patmos and say, you need to, we need to put you away because you're the problem with the world. Elijah, you're the troubler of Israel. I ain't the troubler, you are. Well, you're the one that brought the... It's because of your sin. I just told you what God said to... T- it's just God doing the thing. Get right, fool. Oh, you shouldn't talk like that. Okay. You know Ahab and Elijah... All right, look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, stop. That's not like the Charismatics tell you. All right? That that has nothing to do with this whole, you know, I'm in the Spirit. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you about you being in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the church, right? To the Corinthian church. The church at Corinth. So, doctrinally, this is to you. Verse 1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that's your body, were dissolved, right? Guess what's going to happen eventually to your body? So people say, is it, is it a sin to cremate? You know, is it wrong to cremate? And then Bible-believing guys will go out and they'll write all these books about the origins of cremation and all the rest of this. Well, God said, dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return. So if you want to speed up the process, knock yourself out. I mean, I tell my wife all the time, like, just fry it up, man. I mean, that will save a ton of money. You all can get together and cry and have a little thing up front and it's all good, right? Honest, that's it's just dust going to dust. You get so super spiritual, you get unbiblical, and then you dig into history and find out the origins of of cremation and stop it. (laughs) Show me in the Bible where that's wrong, please. If you show me in the Bible that that's a sin, then fine, but you can pull a couple of little illustrations out, but you can't show me doctrinally where that's biblical, that it's wrong. So quit messing with people. If they cremated a loved one, and now they're freaking out because they read some stupid pamphlet from some guy that gets them doubting what they did, and now they got, some, some people don't think about things from a pastoral, you need to deal with more people before you start running your mouth all the time with your personal convictions about stuff, if it ain't Bible. That takes us back to this morning, critical spirit. Guess what's going to happen to that flesh you're in? What's was Brother Paul's favorite song, I'm going to get a new body one of these days, right? That was the, uh, I forget who it was that sung it, the special group we used to have come here. Yeah, they used to come here. Yeah. I can't think of it right now either, but yeah, that's a great song, man. <laughs> one of these days, guess what you're getting? A new body. You ain't taking that one with you, so it ain't that important. I mean, we spend a lot of time pampering it, but it's just really not that important. We have a building of God. So if our, if our bodies dissolve, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. So we're in this one, but our real desire is to be clothed with the one that's eternal. Uh, if you have sicknesses and infirmities and diseases and you carry those things on throughout your whole life, especially as you start getting older, man. When somebody's old and they've been serving God for a little while, 10 years Friday, right, Paul? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it was his birthday uh, last Friday. He was 59 when he got saved. Uh, and then right after he got saved, uh, his flesh literally started falling apart. Fallen, fallen, absolutely falling apart. Lost his eyesight. Uh, lungs filling up with fluid in and out of the hospital, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, he literally just, it just came unglued. It means something special to him at 69 years old to think God's going to give him a new body. He earnestly desires a new one to to get rid of the one he's in. (laughs) Amen. That's a blessing, ain't it? I mean, God's going to give you something better. That's encouraging. You know, it doesn't mean much to some people because we've been blessed with too good a health for too long. But man, what a blessing God's going to get us out of this. If, we, if so be being clothed, we shall not be found naked, verse 3. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed. None of us really want to die, but what it is is we want the glorified one that's never going to die, right? It's not that you really want to die, I just want to die. You know, you don't. You just want to escape your problems, you know. That's the reality of it. So guess what? The day is coming when you're going to get to do that. That mortality might be swallowed up a life. That's where I get the thing that I teach pretty, pretty emphatically that, to be, to be honest with you, I think when you actually get to heaven, it's going to be more real than this. That's, what, that's one of the passages where I get that from. I really believe that. Uh, it's not a doctrine battlefield to die on. It's one of those things I mentioned this morning that, you know, different people that believe the Bible can have in a different interpretation on something. This is one of those examples. But, but I think, really, I think when you get to heaven and you look back at this life, this life is going to feel like some kind of a vivid dream. Because it says mortality, you're living in death. Do you know every few hours, you think about this, For every few hours, you have to lay down and sleep. I, I, I know the number, but it's not coming to me right now. You, your body can only make it so long without sleeping. I, anybody know the number? It's not long. Is it like three days or something like that at the most? Something that sound right? Something like that? It'll kill you if you don't sleep. <laughs> you're so mortal, you don't even know it. You can make it about 30 days without eating. And you can make it about three days without water. And the last two of them are going to be horrible. <laughs> you have a miserable third day of delusional insanity. You're dying. You're so mortal, you don't even know it. And someday this mortality is going to be swallowed. That's a great passage of Scripture, man. Now he that wrought us for the self same thing is God. Now watch it who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done it, whether it be good or bad. Go back to Revelation chapter 1. What I wanted you to see is you're in the Spirit now because He's dwelling in you. This passage of Scripture in verse 10 is John literally being caught up into the future. He was in the Spirit. He was caught up and taken out on the Lord's day. That's not Sunday. I think I said it this week or last week when I was publicly praying that, you know, thank you, a uh, blessing to be in your house. I don't believe that. I don't believe this sticks and bricks is the house of God. <laughs> but you know what I mean by that, right? And the Lord does too. It is a building that we've dedicated to gathering together for the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. It's church. It's a really important thing. I believe in respecting it. I don't believe in tearing it up. I really love the, the, the note that Brother D put downstairs to the kids. Any parents seen that? Let's back him up, okay? He said, kids... Uh, something like, what did it say? Something like, I'm not your maid or something like that. Uh, Please throw your cups away when you're done with them. Thanks, Brother D with a smiley face, you know. Um, and if you know Brother D, then when you saw that, you smiled and you didn't get offended. You, you know Brother D. He loves the kids like crazy. But, uh, but that was a real good note. Why? Because this, this is important to me and, and to him. He's up here working throughout the week, keeping things looking. These things don't just say this sharp with this many kids running around all that stuff. He keeps it up. And that's a blessing, right? Uh, it's important, but this ain't the house of God. He's dwelling in you. The the, the Lord's day isn't Sunday. The Sabbath. <laughs> Shocking to me, the stuff that's been taught all these years, and nobody says, "Where's that? Where's that?" Preacher, can you show me the verses on this being the Sabbath? <laughs> just, they just, they just drink the Kool-Aid, man. They just drink the Kool-Aid. Well, my preacher said, they just drink, the, oh, that sounds right. You know, they just walk. You wouldn't do that if your doctor said, hey, you know, I got some really bad news when to need to cut you. You start asking some questions, don't you? You kind of want to be educated on what they're going to be doing. You ought to be. Oh, we're just dealing with our eternal soul. Just truth. You know, that's what my preacher says anyways. Where's that at in the Bible? Because the Bible is really important and my personal relationship with Jesus Christ is really important. And I really don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if I don't have a personal relationship with my Bible. So if I'm struggling with my Bible, which we all do, especially when you start, then just keep coming and keep trying and stay at it. Be faithful, listen to preaching online, come to church, and with time get to know your Bible better. It's very important. This isn't the Sabbath. We meet on the first day of the week because it's the day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Lord's Day, and I already told you this, so I'll just mention it, and we're going to wrap up here. The Lord's Day is also the day of the Lord. That can refer to anywhere from the rapture, to the tribulation period, to the second advent, to the millennial reign. It's that time frame that's the day of the Lord. And when you look up the different passages, different times, it can be talking about different portions of that period of time. But it's from the time the trumpet goes off to get you and I out, all the way out to the end of the millennial kingdom. It's the day of the Lord. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. God took John, caught him up into the future, and look at that verse. He says, "I hear behind me a great voice of a trumpet." Ain't that weird that it says I heard behind me? God called him up into the future. He's looking back. Ain't that a trip? It's pretty cool. So he's telling you where he's at. That's not doctrinally about you. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I started speaking in tongues and flopping around on the floor and puking on myself and flipping out. Man, the Spirit of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. So if you got to have people up front, specifically positioned with blankets to chase the girls around and throw a blanket on them to keep them modest, you're going to tell me that's the Spirit of God? You've seen that stuff, ain't you? That ain't the Spirit of God, man. You lost your mind. You don't know the Bible. That stuff's foolishness. But they'll grab a passage like this and start preaching and frothing it up and get so fired up and excited that they get everybody just caught up on that bandwagon of emotional feeling. And oh man, God really showed up. Did he? Or did everybody just get caught up with the music or the preaching? You see, you know God showed up if it's based on truth. I told you earlier today the, spirit, the super spirituality and the emotions and all that stuff, they're not wrong, but they don't wag the dog, they're the tail. The dog wags the tail. The tail doesn't wag the dog. They're not the cake. They're the frosting on top. You understand that? So I'm not quenching your emotions. I'm saying you better make sure that those things are guided by the truth of the Word of God. So when you get emotional in church and you're on here crying at the altar, is it because the Spirit of God convicted you from the Bible? Or is it just some kind of an emotional thing? you got to watch out for that stuff. You've got to make sure it's truth. Look at verse 11 and we're done. The voice calls, he, he gets called up in the future, hears behind him a great voice of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He, there it is again. He says it twice. That's verily, verily. That's normal for Jesus Christ. And then we'll get into this some more uh, later on. But there's seven churches that he lays out. The number seven continually shows up in a King James Bible and throughout the book of Revelation saying, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book. Now you see that. He wants him to write what he saw in a book. You see the important. You see why I'm just emphasizing the Bible tonight. And what he's writing in a book, he wants it sent to where? <laughs> to the seven churches. Isn't this the church t- period of time right now? Isn't this the dispensation where it's it's the church? You know how God speaks to His church. You know how Jesus Christ, your bridegroom, speaks to His bride through a love letter. It's in your lap. It's brutally honest, but it is saturated with his love. And how he talks to the church is through that book. And then he gives you seven churches. Uh, Ephesus, under Smyrna, under Pergamos, under Thyatira, under Sardis, under Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Those are seven churches that were actual churches at that time in Asia Minor, which would be Turkey nowadays. Ephesus means fully purposed. Smyrna means myrrh. Pergamos means much marriage. Thyatira means odor of affliction. Sardis means red ones. Philadelphia means bloodly love. And the last church before Revelation 4, one, when the trumpet sounds and the church disappears from the book of Revelation and doesn't come back all the way through till about Revelation 19, you don't see her show up again, is Laodicea. And Laodicea means the rights of the people or civil rights. And it's the only church in the seven churches that we'll get to in in a couple of weeks. We've got to finish up Revelation 1 uh, next time we're together. We'll go through the end of the chapter. It's the only church of the seven churches that has a building where the Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. None of the other churches does God refer to a building anywhere. It is unquestionably the last period of the church age. And it is unquestionably the period of time we're in right now. You ain't never seen a bigger mess of the rights of the people. More pastors lose good people because they don't give them what they want. It's it's just, well, my rights. Well, I wasn't noticed. Well, I wasn't recognized. It's just an egomaniac society where it's just all about you all the time. And we're at, we got it bad. Even Bible-believing Christians got it bad. Guys, we can't be raising our kids like that. Every once in a while, it's good to look at them and say, it ain't about you, so shut up. <laughs> I'll say they do that all the time, but every once in a while you got to remind them, and you remind them best by your life, and that's the final church. All right, we'll pick it up here next time in in uh, chapter one, verse number twelve, and with the help of God, a miracle from God, we'll make it. No, I really we can move. We'll make it down through the end of chapter one. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed.